Are you guys ready? I was born ready. I am. I thought there was going to be more after that. You made it no. sound like you're not. <laughs> no. you went, I, I am. I am. I just am. <laughs> oh, all right. Margaret, it's me. God. Suck these toes, bitch. <laughs> That's what God would say. Huh? <laughs> your, your Catholicism has been teaching you wrong. Suck on toes. Sucking on toes is the only way to get into heaven. People with foot fetishes auto pass. Uh, they, I hope not. They get the fast pass in. <laughs> Welcome, everyone, to this new episode of Drunken Jurors on this fine Monday at some point. I'm Jeff. I'm Adam. I'm Nick. Hail. Yes. I am so... Oh, We'll get into it in a second. I'm so excited to... I'm probably going to piss Nick off right away right here. But uh, I'm drinking ranch water. Uh, I'm about to try the prickly pear one. It's a hard seltzer. I no, it does not have ranch. I am drinking strawberry lemonade truly. I've picked myself up another bottle of uh Jefferson's uh small batch bourbon. Oh, my bad. Are you gonna (laughs) drink any of that or gonna puff puff past that or you gonna pop it open? We Nick, it's like a slippery to drink slope with we're going because Nick, Nick is our mate, and when we drink with Nick, he gets it down in eight, seven, six, five. I'm not four, prepared for this. Three, two, one. Really, Nick didn't even start drinking until he was supposed to be done with it. So, <laughs> this is your first time tasting it. Why are you so scared? This is the first time I've drank in like three weeks. Perfect. Nick, Nick, Jeff specifically requested that we be drunk for this episode going into it. Well, hold on. Hold on. I think I know what's going to make Nick drink. All right. So when we're recording this compared to when it comes out, because everyone knows these aren't live. I've made that clear multiple times. So we're recording this. Unlike the podcast, which is live. Yeah, which comes out live. 11 a.m. on a Monday. So the last episode... Of jury of drunk opinion that we did, or not jury of drunk opinion, DJ we did that wasn't, you know, the recent update of the Blackhawks was Stephen McDaniel's, and Nick and I got into the talk about the death penalty and why we're we both we're both for it. Certain people just don't deserve to walk this earth. So today we are covering a case of a man who was. 90 probably above 90 percent chance that he was innocent that got it executed <laughs> we like to drink with nick because nick is our mate <laughs> and the more nick. i go through so how i'm gonna break this down is i well, we're gonna break this down into the testimonies of his trial and going through a little bit piece by piece of exactly what happened or at least according to other people and then i'm going to explain to you how this man should not have died and you're going to get real fucking upset. <laughs> you don't know that. I might. I'm in a good mood right now. You'd be better right now. We're drunk, though. We'll come back to that at the end of the episode. We'll, we'll come back to that. So we are talking about the case of Cameron Todd Willingham. But this what, happened. 
what's his name again? Cameron. Cameron. Oh, Cameron? I thought you said Cameron, and I was like, Cameron. That's a weird name. I thought uh, you were saying Cameron. Hold on, wait till we get to the names of his daughters. Oh. Cameron Todd Willingham. He was found guilty for arson that killed his three daughters, Amber, Cameron, and Carmen. <laughs> the twins were named Cameron and Carmen. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I respect it. I, res- I respect the commitment to the game. <laughs> it is a bold play. <laughs> I, 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 I respect the It's a bold play, Cotton. Let's see how this plays out. This fire happened at 1213 West 11th Avenue in Corsicana, Texas, by Dallas. This Mm. happened on December 23rd, 1991. And, God, this is so bad. Uh, Yeah, probably. If it sounds like a dog barking, I'm going to take a wild guess and say yes. If it sounds like a bork bork. (laughs) It's not my dog. It might be, though. He gets it. (laughs) Trevor? Sorry. If you name your dog Trevor, <laughs> if you were to name your dog Trevor, I'd be so mad. Uh, you imagine go, imagine hearing someone shouting, Trevor! Trevor! <laughs> and it's just a fucking gold. Trevor, did you shit on the floor? So my source for this is The Skeptical Juror and the Trial of Cameron Todd Willingham by J. Bennett Allen. Uh, this was a, kind of a weird book where everything that happened in the trial was transcripts that he like kind of su- not like summed up but when you read trial transcripts they can get really like elongated by people stuttering and like just going off on tangents he basically kind of like cleaned it up and put it together but then he has sections of the book that are like the deliberations by the jury and that's set as like a 12 angry men setting which is fictional so i'm not going into any of that i'm just doing the facts that he puts out with the testimonies of everyone so we're going to go through the testimonies to get to the hopefully the ending what actually happened that is actually proven by fire science because fire science is cool fire science is cool fire science i kind of wish i studied that so the first person up for testimony is johnny webb who testified on tuesday august 18th 1992 this is a capital punishment case obviously as the whole episode is about a man who was wrongly is this the first or second trial first first all right i believe yeah so one big thing before we get into it one important i don't when was this jeff 1992 is when the trial happens 91 is when the fire happened all right cool um in capital cases, there's all there's an automatic appeal, yeah, and then you get an actual appeal. So, like capital cases can be tried three times, and as long as you can keep coming up with reasons for, to appeal, you can pretty much keep appealing because it's a capital case. Yeah. So he is first questioned by Assistant District Attorney John Jackson, who is doing the direct examination of Johnny Webb. So Johnny is asked basically who he is and what he does um johnny is a prisoner in the navarro county jail uh he is in cell b21 why that's important i don't know um he has been in prison now for six to seven months 
and he has a extensive criminal history. <laughs> um, he is now in for um, he has been convicted of one time or another for stealing a car, delivery of marijuana, theft, forgery, bur- and burglary, and robbery. And this man is 22. Oh, jeez. He got a hell, hell of a career. Um, he is on... For those of Medi- you youngins out there, this is before marijuana was legal. <laughs> yeah. At all. <laughs> At all. Very true. Yeah, the war on drugs is still happening. I'd like to congratulate drugs on winning the war on drugs <laughs> in 2022. Yeah. The reason you can't stay out of trouble is because of drugs. Um, he has a medication. He is on medication for some mental problems uh, for post-traumatic stress disorder that we will get into in a little bit after- with his testimony. He has a around a 10th grade education, which they assume is probably around eighth grade, actually. Um, he came into contact with Cameron Todd, Cameron Todd Willingham. I'm going to call him Todd. So Todd Willingham. Um, he's asked about who confessed about this crime to him. And he points at Todd, who is sitting in the courtroom. So Johnny met Todd because he was a trustee in the prison, which means he basically cleans. Um and I believe their cells are near each other, not 100%, but basically he says that he was one day cleaning and he and Todd talked and like this kind of became a reoccurring thing. And then finally one day Todd confessed to him that he had killed his daughters in a fire and that, yes, he did actually commit the crime, which is where he, bec- this is why Johnny is like the witness for um, well, as of right now, he is the witness for this case. Yeah, he states that uh, Todd told him he wadded a piece of paper and burnt one of the kids with it to make it look like they were playing with fire. And then he ran out of the house and refused to go back in due to someone finding out that one of the kids was injured. So basically what he's trying to explain is that Todd burnt one of his kids to make it look like they were playing with fire and then accidentally lit the house on fire. And then Todd ran out and made sure that no one was going in and that he wasn't going to go in because he was afraid someone was going to see the injuries on the kids before they were fully burnt. Is what he says that he confessed to him. So there's no actual direct witnesses to this? Yeah. We'll get to them. Johnny's just the first person to testify. Okay. He's like the one who has the confession, quote unquote. So... After this, Jackson starts giving questions to Johnny being like, and I quote, Johnny, have I ever promised you anything in return for your testimony in this case? He responds, no, sir, you haven't. As a matter of fact, I told you there is nothing I can do for you. Um, The defense attorney at this point objects to the question, um, the statement that he makes actually as leading. uh, He gets overruled, though, um, for some reason, even though this seems like a pretty leading fucking question. So after this, now defense attorney David Martin gets to cross-examine Johnny. So he goes and he basically brings up, okay, why are you in prison? Um, He robbed a woman. What did you take? Um, He doesn't really know. He was charged with robbery. He doesn't remember the crime. 
because he was high on marijuana and drunk. Oh, Jesus, fuck. So he doesn't, he can't answer this. So this automatically is proving or trying, this is his defense attorney trying to prove that this guy is not trustworthy. What is was this a public defender? I'm, I'm just curious. I don't think so. Right. Never, I didn't read anything about that he was appointed to him. But uh, from what I hear after reading about this case is uh, everyone said that this guy fucking sucked. And we'll kind of see why later. He is oh. the greatest defense attorney. I don't like how this was 30 years ago when it's 91. <laughs> I yeah. just did that. I don't like that. Yeah. Nick, I'm going to go need you to go fuck yourself for saying anything <laughs> remotely close to that. Um, also... <laughs> Also, Johnny has been drinking and smoking marijuana since he was nine. Oh. <laughs> we had to find that out. And then he asks if he's on medication. He says yes, and it's for post-traumatic stress disorder. Oh, Jesus, fuck. <laughs> um, he says, he then asks him what the stress and trauma was about. And he says, I declined to answer that question in an open courtroom. He can't then, do that. Yeah, he can't. So that's when the, the judge informs the witness he must answer the question. And then... He says, I was assaulted in the penitentiary back in 88. Um, he was in the penitentiary at that time for 30 days for shock probation. Yeah. He was sexually assaulted and raped by an inmate. Is no, what his- with the fuck shock probation? <laughs> I'm assuming it has something to do with shock therapy. All right. <laughs> Rainbow, buzz buzz. Yeah fun, yeah, fun facts. You can't say no if you're not the defendant in fucking trial. Yeah. You can't plead the fifth because you signed Haven't, up to be there. Yeah, yeah, you can't. The fifth doesn't only works if you like. If there's a crime, he basically then starts asking him if he uses crack cocaine. He says yes, but you know when he was out of prison, he used crack cocaine. He's basically just proving that this guy has mental problems and isn't the most mentally stable human being to be saying that he got a confession from someone. He. So he then brings up why he, um, why it took him so long to report this because he was told he was technically quote unquote confessed to over a month before, and he had brought it up to one of the guards or like someone in the prison, and after like a week, and he was like, "Do you want to report this?" And he's like, "No, I just don't know how to handle it." So he sat on it for two more weeks, and then was like, "Yeah, I mentally can't hold this." information and be okay with myself and then reported it and that's how they got to this point this feels a lot like shawshank he then asks him if he remembers the visit from the fbi he had and johnny says i've never talked to the fbi and then did, <laughs> then did he though like i'm just he brings did... up a statement there like the defense attorney brings up a statement where yes he had talked to fuck <laughs> the fbi oh my god uh, now it goes back to he passes the witness, so John Jackson gets to go back at him. And John Jackson asks him about uh, the sleeping pills that he was giving Todd because apparently Todd was having a tough time sleeping in prison because of all of the mental problems he was having because he has the weight of him killing his own daughters on his mind. So he's been getting sleeping pills from Johnny, is what he's saying. He then asks if uh, Todd threatened him after he told him about him killing his daughters, and Jackson brings up the um, he brings up the statement that 
the original statement that Johnny wrote because Johnny says, no, he didn't. And he says, well, in this statement, you said he did. And then he says, yeah, he did. So then he goes to uh, David now gets to recross him where he's like, so why did you change your statement or why are you changing your answers after the uh, prosecutor is literally showing you things and more wild shit of just getting thrown around? It's it's wild. I don't I'm uh, how uh, yeah I'm still happy. I'm still happy. I so refuse. here come your witnesses. A family that lives two doors down. The first one is the mother Diane Barbie. Uh, this was also on Tuesday, August 18th, 1992. She is called in by the prosecution. So John Jackson questions her first. Um, she basically starts off with who she is, where she lives, two houses down. Um, and then what was happening that day. So at 10 a.m., her daughters had gone outside to play. Uh, 10, 15 minutes later, as she is inside watching The Price is Right, she, her, one of her daughters comes in and says, Mommy, the house next door is on fire. So she runs out the front door and she sees not the house next door on fire, but the horse, the, ha- the horse, the house <laughs> after that one is on fire. And she sees Todd outside crouched down with his arms crossed in front of the house and her. So she goes running over there. Well, she runs back inside to call 911, but her phone doesn't work. So she goes running down the fucking street to call 911. She said that took about four to six minutes to accomplish. Oh. She says when she comes back, she is talking to Todd a little bit. And then Todd runs over and moves his car. Like he pushes his car back for like five to eight feet from the house. And she's like, he literally just thought of his car as more important than going back inside and helping his children. The, she said after she saw Todd and she had made the call, it was was not long after that that finally first responders showed up. Like police, fire, and EMS basically showed up at the same time. EMS came out and tried to get Todd into the ambulance to, you know, take care of his wounds, his burns, and he kept denying. And there are actually photos of them holding him back as he's trying to run back into the house. During the time, though, that before they got there, she, her kids were yelling at him to go back inside and save the girls because they knew the girls were inside, and he never did. He just moved his car. And she also says that he, there was no screaming, nothing. Like, he wasn't yelling or anything until she came outside and he saw her, and then he started yelling, someone help, someone call 911, my daughters are inside. So, leaning towards, okay we think this is arson he did this deliberately and then she talks about the next day after he gets out of the hospital and he comes back after finding out that his daughters are dead that he showed up was listening to music and there was a couple other people there and he was worried about like a dartboard in his house getting a dartboard back and then him and his wife came over to her house Oh, while they were inside, while he was inside with his wife talking to the neighbor, uh, Diane, he told his wife that he went back inside to try to save his daughters. 
which she had never seen. But remember, she was gone for four to six minutes, running down the street trying to find someone with a phone to call 911. I... I guess for, cell phones for, weren't a thing yet. Yeah, know. I was going to say, for those young listeners, <laughs> cell phones didn't exist then either. So you had to go find someone with a home phone or a car phone, which both were on wires still. <laughs> and no one had car phones. <laughs> yeah, only rich people had car phones at the time. And this is Dallas, Texas. <laughs> he also told her. This is all while Jackson's questioning her. Um, she also says that Todd um, had told her that he had been woken up to Amber yelling that the house was filled with smoke, and then he ran out the back of the house. Apparently did not try to si- save his daughters at all. After she gets back and she was talking to Todd, they go to try to see if they can get to the girls. As they're walking to the house, it explodes and erupts with flames. Not like explodes, but a fly. It's called a, like a like a heat flash. Yeah, it's called a it's called like a flash something. But yeah, back blast, back blast. No, it's called a flash. I can't remember. It. We'll get bang? to it later. No. no, no, we'll get to it later. There's a whole. Don't worry. There's a whole fucking fire inv- uh, investigation thing here. But so that happens. All the windows blow out and fire starts pouring out of anything that's open, and so they can't get in. And that's when the um at that point is when he moved his car back five to eight feet and how he looked he was literally just wearing pants like he sleeps in the nude so when he was woken up he, had, he all he could find was pants luckily <laughs> he went outside so it took about 10 minutes total for the emergency services to arrive to this now there's the cross-examination so martin will now be questioning her and he starts off by asking her if uh, she was hysterical, which she says yes. Pretty straightforward to try to, th- oh, she can't be trusted. She was hysterical. That was kind of like his go-to thing right there. She Then he asked her if she had ever been close to a house on fire before. That's she a wild no. question. Yeah. He, this is where I'm saying he's not the greatest defense attorney. He has some pretty dumb questions while cross-examining. Also, fun thing, he doesn't fucking bring anyone as witnesses or to testify <laughs> pain but, but we'll get to that later <laughs> um basically he just re-asked a lot of the same questions about like oh where was todd exactly and like oh it took you this long to go find like someone with a phone to call 911 and he asked was it on fire or was it just smoking the first time you saw it and she's like just smoking because obviously then it went boom and then flames went everywhere then he was asking were the windows already shattered by the time it exploded or when you first got over there it was some weird questioning basically not the greatest work i've ever seen in my life asked about like her hearing electricity popping which is gonna happen when a house fucking explodes um she said she heard that when the house exploded so uh, she he she asked if she saw him like when she saw him the next day if he had any significant injuries he didn't we'll get to it but Todd's only injuries were he had a slight cough he had a second de- uh, he had first degree burns on his face and neck he had a second degree burn on his right shoulder and then he had blisters on his hand was the only injuries he really sus- sustained during this. After this, 
next person up is one of the daughters, which is uh, Brandy Barbie. Yet again, starts off with uh, Jackson being the one that questions her. Brandy is asked about the morning of the fire. She states that when she went outside, she saw Cameron standing by a tree and was screaming that there was a fire and for someone to call 911. And she restates that this all happened between 10 and 10.30. So same timeline. No one has a different timeline. Nothing crazy like that. No, like, super wild everyone's stories are all over the place. She also states that she never saw him go inside while her mom was gone. He did move his car and seemed worried about it, but he was still screaming after the trucks had arrived, like he was trying to get back inside. Um, she then later went to the hospital with a friend and states that when she went into his room at about 2.30 to 3-ish, he was on talking on the phone. He was on the phone talking about caskets. And they were wondering why, oh, did he seem super sad? Why was he already talking about caskets? This has to be planned if he's already getting caskets at this point. He already knows they're all dead. I mean, yeah, maybe it's a little early, but you can't judge someone for what what the fuck's he supposed to do? Just cry the entire time? Like, I don't. Yeah. They were pronounced, one of them, two of them were pronounced dead at the scene. The other one was pronounced dead at the hospital he was at. Like, 15 minutes after she got there. Amber died at the hospital. Cameron and Carmen died at the scene. Like, we're pronounced dead. And you don't really want to, like, wait. <laughs> you kind of want to get that stuff taken care of pretty quickly. That'd be nice. Guess what? So, here comes the cross-examination. Guess what one of the first questions he asked, or the first two questions he asked are? First question, Miss Barbie. Have you ever lost a family member in a fire? She says, no. He's like, never lost a close family member. Have you to accident or death? She says, I lost my grandmother and my great-grandmother. I was small. I hardly remember it. He's like, so my point is that this is the first time you've ever been around someone who lost children in a fire or an accident. Is that correct? She says, yes. What? I don't know what that has to do with that. Fuck all. <laughs> it's not. It's, it's it, his... Uh, <laughs> There's so many better ways to come question something about what they say. Like, uh, I get what he's going for here with the, like, oh, she does, like, everyone deals with trauma and grief differently. I get that, and that's probably what he's trying to get to, but he went about it so poorly. <laughs> yeah. Like a fucking idiot. Uh, all right, so we can establish his defense attorney is also incompetent. Yes, very bad. <laughs> All right. Um, Glad we can Jackson, establish that. Jackson has some redirect, of course, because he's good at his job. <laughs> or at least maybe not good, but he's competent. <laughs> so Jackson asks if he was, she was present when he came over to their house the next night. She says yes. And he asked, did he make a statement about the babies walking in the hands of the Lord? And she said, yes, he said something like that. And she says, you didn't know where the children were in the house, did you? No, is her answer. Um, and she asked, do you find it weird that he didn't go back inside to try to save his children? She says, yes. Which is understandable. So next up is the testimony of Buffy Barbie, who is, ele- is 11. So, you know, this has to be great. <laughs> God, fuck. Oh, my God. Yeah. This is tiring. Yeah. 
Yes, if she remembers the day, she says yes. Um, she says what they were doing, that they were out back playing, listening to the radio, and when they saw smoke, go and tell their mom, and then it's basically the same thing that their mom said. Then, basically, David cross-examines, um, asks her how old she is again for some stupid reason, probably because he was dicking around with his fucking balls in his pocket like a weirdo. <laughs> Clearly, he's not paying attention. <laughs> Um, she just asked questions that don't have anything to do with anything. He asked if she saw um, Todd break the front window. She says she saw him break one of them, probably to try to get smoke ventilation, but who really knows? Who's, who is it to judge? This uh, person with zero fire training. Yeah. Oh, the, buddy, the people the who internet? did the investigation apparently had zero fire training. Oh, joy. <laughs> uh, passes the witness back. It's Jackson... Uh, was the house on fire when you first went over there? Or was it smoke? She just said there's a lot of smoke. Don't know what the fuck that had to do with anything. That was the only question he asked, and then that's the end of her testimony. Next, we get the firefighters and the first responders. Ronald Franks is first up. This is also still on the Tuesday. He's. This is still all... I'm just going to put it out there. The prosecution brings in all these witnesses. Fucking his defense attorney literally just sucks his own thumb the entire time, I guess. It's absolutely wild. Um, he starts off with the normal stuff of asking him how long he's been, like what his job is and how long he's been there. Uh, he's a lieutenant paramedic with the Corsicana Fire Department. So I'd just like to say, uh, after listening to the book on Jack Ruby's trial, I'm happy to know that Texas law didn't change over the course of 30 years. No, no, it's so bad. We'll get into that, too. It's great. Yep. <laughs> Fuck, Texas, you got so much going for you. Fix your fucking legal system. <laughs> um, Ron explains that when he got there, the house was on fire and what it looks like, um, and that he got a lion attached and started attacking the fire that was involved in one room. They say it's involved in one room a lot. The main bedroom at the front of the house is where the fire is mostly at that they deal with. It does spread, obviously, but that is where it's started, quote unquote, and that is the hole. So he's attacking that fire. And then when he gets some of it knocked out, um, he is instructed to get an air pack on and go inside. So he does that. Uh, he went in with a line, but he got hit by another line shooting through a window on the side. So he went back out, dropped his line, and then went back in. <laughs> um, he describes what he saw when he first went in. Uh, first pass, he did not find anyone, but the crew got most of the fire down. So, But there's obviously still a lot of heat because it's burning hot coals and obviously a shit ton of smoke. Um, he went into the kitchen, and when he went to open the back door for ventilation – uh, there is a refrigerator in front of it. Wait, what? Yeah, so this is where things start to get kind of skewed and, like, you don't really know what the fuck's going on. Uh, he passes by that. Um, he goes back out. He asks Todd where the kids are, and he points to the room that was fully on fire. Uh, Ron searches all rooms, but when he gets to the involved room where the twins were, uh, he finds the twins laying on the ground, burnt beyond survival. Oh, this is the or like quote unquote the origin of the fire. Like this is where it is the worst. Uh, David goes to cross examine him. He, when he first saw Todd, he asked if uh, when he first saw Todd on the scene. Scene was he there? Was he 
sorry. He says, Mr. Franks, when you first saw Todd at the scene, you were not examining him for the purpose of diagnosing smoke inhalation, were you? He says, no, sir, I wasn't. He's like, you were in a hurry? He says, yes, sir, I was. Because the whole thing about this is, oh, did Todd suffer from smoke inhalation? Because that would mean that he was in the fire longer than, like, probably trying to save his kids. Why that really matters, don't really know. So that's the end of his testimony. Next up is Stephen Vandiver. Um, he is... He is employed for the fire department also. He starts to explain his day there. He repeats most of what Ron says about arriving at the fire. I mean, pretty similar. They're both there at the same time. Um, he then talks about how the floor being on fire was difficult and more dangerous because, you know, most fires, heat rises, most flames are on the ceiling or on the walls. This fire was on the floor. Like, it was super hard for them to walk in because the floor was on fire. That. Which makes my, you immediately think. Think accelerate. accelerate. Yeah. yeah. In my so. peewee brain that knows nothing about fire. <laughs> that's how kerosene works. Yeah. So Steve then goes through and does a search also. And he finds a body in a bedroom on the bed. And he takes her outside. This is Amber. Uh, Amber is the one that gets rushed to the hospital and is pronounced dead at the hospital after they try to resuscitate her. Next up is Douglas Fogg. Doug testifies. He states his position and everything. He is the assistant fire chief of the fire department and he is, has been doing it for a little over 22 years. Um, he explains fire investigation and how they try to first rule out they try to find the origin of the fire. They try to rule out accidental. He said, in this case, they, they had the gas company come out and do a test. There were no gas leaks. They checked all the outlets and electrical, and there were no, like, busted up wires or anything. So it wasn't an electrical fire, which then means that makes it very, like, accidental. That starts to knock down it being accidental and it more being an arson. They, like I said, they eliminate electrical and gas, and then... Doug explains how the fire was started, which is from there. Um, I'm just going to read a quote for quote from the book when he answers after they kind of ruled out accidental. From there, we started going to the deep burn or the lowest burn areas in the hallway and followed them to the bedroom where the two twins were found. We removed some of the debris. We had punch holes in the floor to allow some of the water to drain out as the water drained down more. There were more patterns. Uh, we called that we call them poor patterns. Puddling effects were ev were evidenced on the floor. We started removing debris from the floor in additional areas of low burn. Floor level burns were noted. So basically, the entire thing about this case is there is puddling, and there are there is liquid under the floor, like accelerant, or it's not accelerant, but there is liquid found under the floors. And one of the big things about this case is the porch. The porch is burnt. There is like brown stains on the porch and on the threshold of the front door under it is accelerant. And the aluminum metal melted. Fire burns at around 800 and aluminum melts at around 1200. And it was melted. So they thought because the fire was burning hotter than 800 and it melted this, that there had to be an accelerant use and there was accelerant under the door frame. 
Also, thing that we will get into later, but I'm just going to mention it now because fuck it. There was a charcoal grill out on the front porch and there was lighter fluid by it. So I'm going to ask you as a logical human being, why would you think there might be accelerant under the threshold of the front door and brown stains on the, the, the porch? Uh, cl- clumsiness. Okay. Life. Okay. Nick? Someone how clo- very how poorly clo- tried to start a grill. How close was the charcoal grill to the front door? This is itself? a very small house. Okay. okay. Like, like, stupidly small for so, a family yeah. of their size. So reasonable to say, poor aim and splatter. Uh, yeah, and also the fact that they just left the uh, lighter fluid outside on the front porch. So if it just gets knocked over, it just uh, also we will. This learn... is probably before safety containers. Yep, on... yep. yep on <laughs> we lighter. will learn yep. later that this is before the safety, the child safety caps on them. Oh, <laughs> so this is just like twist off. Yeah, basically. basically. I wouldn't be surprised if this was selling like a tin can for lighter fluid. Um, yeah. Nick, so this is the '90s. We love. I'm I'm plastic. thinking about just going off script here and just going through this because. So. <laughs> all right. So the rest of the testimony from they just explain a little bit more about the fires. Um. Martin crosses him, cross examines him. He asked Doug if he knew the house was over forty years old, and he said after the investigation he found out. Which is weird. After the investiga- investigation, yeah. yeah, yeah, you should probably know more. You should about look the into house. building materials. <laughs> yeah. Was it knob and tube wiring? Um, he then asked Doug about if something else could have caused puddle patterns, and Doug says yes. Okay, so accelerant doesn't just start puddle cause puddle patterns. Wild. Hmm. Whatever. We're gonna ignore that though, I guess. Um, he then asks if tar burns, and Doug says yes, and if um glue burns he says yes so how the flooring worked in this house was what are glue burns that's what we're getting to the tile glue oh okay like mortar and stuff like that or is this like peel and stick tile this entire house is probably just one big flashbang so (laughs) there this is how their floor was set up so it is (laughs) plywood original wood flooring Mm -hmm. tar paper glue for tile tile and then carpet and this carpet's from the 90s like oh so before we did like mortar uh, under our tile like just straight up just like (laughs) oh you want to change your flooring fuck you (laughs) yeah okay oh god So I can see the problem. We're talking. We're talking about the type of tile where when glue you either. go to where when you go to renovate it, you go, "Hey, you <laughs> know that price I gave you? Double it." Like <laughs> this glue used to be fucking on a farm, running races at the racetrack. Yeah. So this, that this was... glue had a name, and its name was fucking he Secretariat. Then, he then asked, this, Doug, "This glue is somehow related to Nick?" He then God asked Doug horse. if linoleum burns. <laughs> the tiles were linoleum he says yes oh <laughs> he says uh, um then martin says uh two reasons fire burns deeper it's hotter there or the floor is thinner there makes sense right burns hotter there because there's more substance to burn for it to get hotter uh, and it burns they... deeper because it's thinner in that area because of like traffic patterns of walking through the house that's why he's saying there's deeper burn patterns at certain spots which I think is understandable. 
Oh. And Doug is answering okay. yes to all these. He's like, yeah, no, like everything you're saying is completely like true. Does um, <laughs> I would like to f- point out really quickly, uh, you hate to see it. You do. I feel like Jeff and I are carrying the drunkenness and I am carrying pretty heavy because I'm <laughs> time to try the fourth one. So it's grapefruit. Ooh. That's delightfully nice. I'm going to have to get some of these. They're just, they have like legitimate flavor. It's not like every flavor is great. It's just, they actually have a flavor to it's them. Not on like just most can. Yeah. 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 It's not truly, aluminum. I mean, so essentially what we're saying is Trulies and Ranches were, <laughs> are the yeah. two that you drink. Martin then goes on to, for more of a case about the lighter fluid. He brings up kerosene lamps that a lot of people in the nineties had because if your power went out. Guess what you're using? Kerosene lamps. God help me. Guess what was around the house? Kerosene. Kerosene lamps. We'll get into it. or We'll just fucking explain it now. Um, There's one in the hallway. The hallway is one of the last places to light on fire. Um, (laughs) There is a lamp on a bookshelf or on a shelf out in the the hallway. Um, This wasn't uncommon to have a kerosene lamp readily available in the 90s. My parents still have one readily available. Like, power goes out. They work perfect. They last forever. My like, dad has them just as, like, lanterns, like, up yeah. in his house. <laughs> yeah, like, they work. Um, There's that. He's asking if fucking paint burns. And he says, yes, some paint does. And then there's this weird conversation they have about what paint burns, what paint doesn't, and what paint would be on the fucking front door. Of course. <laughs> God fucking hell. I would assume... Oil-based paint would burn. Water-based paint would not burn. Um, he then brings up, hey, what if a space heater started this? Like, stating, like, a child knocked over. He's like, well, we found some st- like, knocked over, but they're all in the off position. Okay, whatever. Um, <laughs> still, this hurts. Yeah, it's painful, man. This is a lot of he then asks, hey, could a child have started this fire? And he's like, I guess if a child would have grabbed the lighter fluid it, by the way, all of his kids were very, very young, like toddler age. Yeah. He's like, if they went outside, grabbed it, and came back in, climbed over the baby gate with it, and splashed it everywhere the entire time, and then somehow lit it on fire. Oh. This hurts. Shows your face, Berta. Okay. They basically go back and forth questioning him a lot about the tile and just random little things. So next up is the testimony of James Palos. Um, he is the fire marshal for the Corsicana fire department. So he comes out and does like the investigation. Um, basically asking why the fucking doors were burnt. Really? Um, then Martin crosses him and why, well, he also asks, like, do you believe it was accelerating? He says, yes. So he passes a witness, Martin cross examines him and Martin lists all the other samples, uh, James took at the scene and that the only things that came back with accelerants were the lighter container and the threshold of the door. So there were no other accelerants found on any of the samples throughout the house. So fun. And then Martin brings up how the accelerant was kerosene because it wasn't gasoline. It was kerosene that is found in lighter fluid um, or used in house lamps and readily available to anyone. Now he's bringing up, oh, what if like a kid knocked it over? 
type of a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, then they bring in the nurses or the people that fa- saw him at the uh, hospital, basically just asking him how he was at the hospital. They explained the burns and like his injuries, like I already did, which was like, they're like, did he have smoke inhalation? They say no. There was soot found in his nasal passage, which shows that he was in the fire, but he didn't have enough like alcohol or not alcohol, Jesus, um, carbon monoxide level percentage mm-hmm. to be cl- classified under like the whole, oh, it's smoke inhalation. Uh, also about him with his wife. His wife was like, he kept asking for his wife. She finally came in. And when she did come in, she stayed like really far back from him. And then they bring up, oh, that was probably because she just found out their daughter died like in the same hospital before coming up. You mean really all of weird. these traumatic events that yeah. just happened? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of shit going on. And then they interview or testimony of Shaw, who was the doctor who tried to resuscitate the daughter. And then another, then the medical examiner of the bodies states pretty straightforward stuff about them being like they're all their deaths were smoke inhalation and they were burnt like pretty straightforward stuff. Now is the direct examination of Manuel Vasquez, who is the man who does the investigation. He is the state. He is the deputy state fire marshal. He is the one that comes in and classifies it as arson. He has done 1,200 to 1,500 investigations, and he says that most of them were arson. Already shows pretty fucking great how amazing he is at his job, probably. He also states later at some point that he isn't usually wrong. So Mm. he starts to explain the investigation and how he went through the house, what he was looking for. He saw the space heaters he says in the he sees v patterns and stuff which are like usual good signs of an origin of a fire says he finds three of them which means there's three origins which means there has to be an accelerant it's a lot of weird stuff he explains going through the house from the kitchen after they moved the fridge same thing when he tried to go through the back door to go into the house because the front door was super burnt that there was a fridge in the way they moved the fridge um goes into the first room normal utility room uh master bedroom the door was burnt and mark's coming from the hallway which shows the fire from the hallway but the living room was not burnt just a lot of heat damage notices a possible origin in the hallway and the door is completely gone which is unusual because doors usually won't burn up like they don't just burn that hot um he says near the origin location was a space heater it was in the path of a V-shaped flame, according to him, and the victim of the fire, and was the a, a victim of the fire was not the origin. So the heater was just a part of the fire, but did not start it. He says that there are burn patterns and trails all throughout. So signs of an accelerant, puddles and lines going to and from. Um, he says that there was a wire along one of the door frames and uh the wire didn't start it because it was fully intact he explains that there was a fire so bad that it was under the bed which means the floors were on fire it's because the entire bottom of it was burnt out he also says that the fire was coming from one end of the room because one side of the the bed frame against the wall wasn't like a different color than the bed frame on the front the on the front it was like burnt white because metal doesn't burn 
it changes different colors. So the heat was coming from the end of the bed, not the head. Um, he also states that where the bodies were, which was like right inside the door. So Todd could have got to them if he really tried. He states that there was, they pressure hosed off a bunch of the area and that when they did that, there was still, it was still saturated with a liquid, which means an ex- there had to be an accelerant, but they couldn't tell what the liquid was. They also said the heater in the room didn't start the fire and that there was liquid stains on the front porch, everything that I basically said. Um, and he says that the reason the front door was lit on fire was to stop people from running out. I, which will- how can they tell, like, if there's a liquid on the floor, how can they tell that it didn't start, like, the start of the fire versus, like, just something being on fire? Like, how? So, can you tell I don't that? know about it nowadays, but I'm assuming back then they just kind of fucking assumed. <laughs> and we'll get to that later. There's a part at the end of the book that I was reading where it's like, back then, a lot of it was just fucking assumptions. Because, <laughs> yeah, like... Like an accelerant, like if you poured lighter fluid everywhere. By the way, it's you... called a flashover when it. Yeah. Okay. I was fucking. So if you pour lighter fluid everywhere, and then like right here in front of me, I drop a match. I mean, that's a starting point, but also within a one second, the rest of the lighter fluid is going up in flames. Like I don't understand how. So you it can because tell, it like... burns. It's because it burns hotter. It leaves a different pattern and a different like stain. But like because accelerants burn hotter than what wood would. Wood would. Okay. So but then like how can you tell like the origin versus an accelerant? Because if you throw something uh it's because so it's usually once it all burns. I'm not I I don't know. I don't I didn't study this, but come on, firefighter simulator hasn't taught you this. No, but (laughs) origin so the origin is easier because it burn it's like been burnt longest. It started the fire. It like it looks different. But even if it's like a second, like fire doesn't spread that quickly. Yeah, uh, I just like if I if I essentially so because doused, it's probably been burning I, longer. It's probably hotter, and therefore it's it's different. Theoretically, if I covered one floor of a house, like one whole story in gasoline, and then lit a match and threw it on a specific spot. Is there an origin? Like, there's origin yes. accelerant. Like, how can you tell the difference? Because wouldn't the that... flash of the ignition will burn the walls a specific way? Okay. Because so gasoline, the thing with gasoline is gas, the liquid isn't the thing that burns. It's the vapor. Yeah. The vapor from gasoline okay, is the so, thing that burns. So, so that's the vapor why... would shoot like a certain pattern up the wall and if okay, you put it out. And, and so enough. the accelerants would burn slightly slower because yeah. they're not. But that's that's why like high-end sports cars, they have a part in it when it's doing when it's ejecting fuel into the engine that like spritzes it and aerosolizes it so that way it burns more efficiently. Okay. So a flashover is I'm going to read it word for word how he explains it when they ask him what a flashover is. A flashover is like this room right here, and you've got a small fire. And every fire, of course, creates heat. And as the fire builds up, the heat builds up. The fire is expanding and gets hotter and hotter and hotter. Eventually, everything in the room will reach ignition temperature simultaneously. 
and then everything will ignite at the same time and that's a flashover and you will hear a whoosh sound a lot of people mistake that for an explosion but it's when the fire catches fire like the whole thing so basically it is the whole room reaching a temperature that everything is now at the same temperature of being able to ignite and then it just does <laughs> It just and then goes, it does boom. the thing. It does it. <laughs> it does the thing. <laughs> does the whoosh. So he says it's intentional because there's no point of origin. So I think this is what's going to answer. So apparently with arson cases, it's harder to find the point of origin. But like, apparently if it was to cause from like electrical or gas, there's going to be a point of origin because of like the explosion or the wire snapping and causing like a constant thing. Yet again, I don't know, man. I didn't study fire science. Wish I fucking would have, because it sounds way cooler than what I'm doing. So, right. His opinion was first the front front bedroom caught fire, and then the hallway, and then the front door was third. So he's basically saying the the front room, and then he poured accelerant out through the hallway and then through the front door. And everyone yet again states that it's weird. The floor was hotter. He also says, based on the configurations of the puddles that were created, it had time to soak. So that means that the liquid was poured and then time passed before it was actually lit on fire. Um, Vasquez also talked to Todd, and then he told the court that it was all lies because his story didn't doesn't match the burn patterns. Because this man gets to decide that. Uh, he also says that Todd's wounds were self-inflicted. And then he's asked if he should have more injuries. He said, yeah. And then he's asked his opinion on who started it. And he said, yes. It said that it was Todd. Yeah, it <laughs> said yes, Jesus. <laughs> Sorry, I'm reading a different was... part that says yes. Oh. Um, so the reason, he gets, the reason he gets Who do you to... think started it? Yeah. Yep. So everyone else who testifies doesn't get to give their opinion on what happened. They get to only state the facts of what they know. Like, what is the truth to them? Who he started gets... it isn't an opinion. <laughs> well, he gets to give opinions because he is... Nick, what do we call them? He gets to give his opinion because he is the expert witness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Nick's, he's called in Nick, because... say it's again, but like you actually knew the answer. <clears throat> we call those the expert witness, Jeff. Yeah, there you go. He says that if he didn't start it, there's no way he could have got out without serious injury. And then here comes the cross-examine. <laughs> Uh, this is where Martin asks if he's ever been wrong about a conclusion he's made. <laughs> and he says, not usually, no. <laughs> I, also, this is... And then, then, then Martin like... basically just does the whole brings up the fucking goddamn kerosene lamps again. <laughs> um, Like, how, like, this is the person that makes the decisions of what happened. So then who would decide that he was wrong? Like, that... <laughs> Like, doesn't yeah. he decide himself whether he was wrong or not? So, have you ever been wrong of, about a case? No. All right. <laughs> like, I've been incorrect. <laughs> he, um, eventually they go back to a redirect. It's, he says that the cause of the fire was to kill the little girls. Like, that was the whole point of it. Also, if you're wondering where Stacy is this entire time, who is Todd's wife, she had left to pay the gas and the electric or the water and the electric bill and then went shopping for Christmas at the Salvation Army. They were dirt poor. Yeah, it was the 90s. Um, People, I'll just get into it now. Um, 
the thing that kind of throws a lot of weird things, uh, Todd has a pretty decent criminal background, and he was uh, – fucking – she denies it. Other people say it. He was abusive to her, and that he was kind of like just not the greatest human being because he had a criminal background. Was that allowed into the trial? No, that it's okay. not really brought up. And um, well, Stacy justifies. Stacy does is brought on as a witness at one point and is asked a lot about Todd and if he beat her, and she denies it the entire time. So, I do don't with that think what you they want. can do that. Yeah, I don't Texas, think. Man. I don't think spouses can testify against each other. When was when was that? That's true, but when was that law created? Oh, sorry, that's been specified. a law for a it, while. No, she she was the one person brought in by um, the defense. Oh, they're stupid. Okay. So Martin brings up um, a kid could have grabbed a lamp and climbed into the bedroom with it and lit it on fire with a lighter because they both parents were heavy smokers. Of course they were. Um, <laughs> it's the nineties, man. No one gave a shit about health reasons around kids. Um. Did they not uh, the have redirect like, childproof lighters back then? Absolutely not. <laughs> it's the nineties, oh. man. Fuck no. Nineties <laughs> kids are the reason that we created safety, child safety things. Because we thought something, and then we we're stupid enough to do it in front of our parents. <laughs> Unlike the generations before us, who did stupid things without their parents around. Um. Basically, this is deflected by <laughs> Vasquez because. How could a two-year-old grab something and deliberately splash it and pour it around and climb over a baby gate back into the bedroom and light it on fire with a fucking lighter? Dude, Which I understand. Some, I've seen some babies do some crazy shit. So, he is the last one to testify. Would you... Nick. But So, we already know the outcome of this. Would you like to guess... We're going to play a little game here for, for a shot. Guess how long it took the jury to deliberate on this matter? Whoever is closest gets to give the other one a shot. 40 minutes. Okay. Adam? 28 minutes. Nick, you get to give out a shot. It was 77. And this isn't to put him to death, by the way. This is just to convict him. This is the first trial, yeah. Yeah, this is just to convict him. 77 minutes to convict him that he did it. I don't know if Adam has hard liquor on him. I do not, but I just took a really long yeah, uh... this. Um, They find him guilty of capital murder. So now we get to go on to the punishment phase. Uh, this is where Stacy is called in during the sentencing, like during this part as a witness, because why not call a real witness during the actual fucking trial for your defense? Um, why would you do something like that? Basically, they just ask her over and over if Todd beat her, and she just keeps saying no. Like, that's really about it. Um, then they bring in some other people to testify. Just people saying that, yes, Todd did beat her. Like, it's just all outside witnesses saying that, yeah, he did beat her. Um, and then they bring in certain like detectives and prosecutors and cops that all say that he has a bad reputation. Uh, then their last, the last out of witness. Curio- out of curiosity, what 
was it was this family white or black i'm I just out of curiosity white white okay because that, that would have a huge role in yeah yeah no i get what you're Texas. saying but yeah, yeah no they were they were All right, that would that would play a huge role okay um so this is where the prosecution pulls out the big gun for the death penalty they bring in dr uh what's his full name they bring in dr james grigson who is rightfully rightfully known as Dr. Death. Dr. Grigson, I'm reading this quote. I am reading this quote for quote. Dr. Grigson would eventually testify against 167 defendants facing the death penalty. Only a few escaped with their lives. Cool. So this is what we call a problem because I'm assuming he gets paid to do this. Yeah, how you look of course. Yeah, yeah. He's a fucking. A he's he's a he's a fucking psychologist. Okay. Yeah. So this is a problem that is really kind of looked at nowadays as like, ah, these are guys who make this their career testifying, and that kind of throws shade on their testimony just because on, they Nick. made it a career. Nick, give it a second. This is going to get bad. Um, in the cases that he didn't get the death penalty vote, um. He was completely wrong about the defendant becoming a threat to society. <laughs> like, wildly wrong. Uh, he, there is one that he did for a young man named by Ron LaFlore, who went on to have a distinguished career with the Chicago White Sox. <laughs> yeah, he tried to get this man killed. Oh, boy. Well, I mean, to be fair, was he a doctor? So, no, no. To be fair, Chicago does. Uh, he was love a, he was a psychiatric criminals. doctor. Oh uh, yes, psychiatry in the nineties. <laughs> yes. Uh, so in 1995, I'd like after, to after this I, case in 1995, Grigson was expelled from both the American Psychiatric Association and the Texas Society for Psychiatric Physicians. So I'd like to state that psychology was at its peak in. <laughs> About 1997 to about 2010, when maybe 2012 at its peak. Before that, it was you got ghosts in your blood, smoke cocaine. <laughs> and then after that, it was politics. Yeah. So really, you got like a tw- 10, 15 year gap of psychiatry actually being legitimate science. Yeah. I, 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 I really do love how we ju- it, uh, uh, hold on would you like to know why he got expelled because he told someone that they had ghosts in their blood uh those no, organizations that's de- those organizations determined that he violated his code of ethics when he diagnosed defendants without having interviewed them and when he testified with 100 certainty that the future future dangerousness of the defendants <laughs> For those so, of you not watching the video version, Nick's <laughs> given up on life and has pulled something out of his hair. I don't know what it was, but it was part of my glasses. Oh, Nick broke his glasses. <laughs> I don't think I broke them. No, I, I lens. Them. So good. for those of you wondering, um you can't do that. This is the wonderful thing about the American justice system is someone might <laughs> You might think someone might be a threat to society, but if they didn't commit the crime that they are being tried for, 
you don't get to put them in prison because you think that they might commit a crime. This is like Minority Report without any of the technology. (laughs) Minority Report is also bullshit. So would you like to hear his, uh, his his explanation of psychopathy? Oh, God, this is going to be fun. Yes, sir. Oh, a I'm psychopath gonna... is a slang term for antisocial personality disorder. It has previously been called a psychopath, a sociopath, but it means an individual that does not have a conscience. Their only interest is in their own self-gratification and pleasure. They're repeatedly breaking the rules. They con, manipulate, use people. They have disregard for other people's property. And then the more severe from form are those individuals that have disregard for other humans human beings <laughs> and then he's asked if this type of behavior often manifests by persons repeatedly committing crimes yes sir it is that's typically classical with regards to persons who fit into this category have you found that there is any substantial hope of rehabilitation of this type of individual after that individual has gotten past their late adolescence or into young adulthood young adulthood if they have been involved in any type of violent behavior there's nothing that's going to change that oh christ if they have not been involved in violent type behavior they then maybe 95 percent of them at age 30 will go ahead and start conforming to the law i love (laughs) that we have a psychiatrist that doesn't believe that people can change because isn't that like their whole shtick anyway (laughs) Kind of, yeah. Yeah. Also, to be fair, psychopathy and sociopathy are not actually in the DSM. So, like, technically, they're not actual diagnosable terms. Well, he test- does his whole testimony. And then uh, the defense brings Stacy back in because, you know, why the fuck not? Um, <laughs> and then they have the really shitty defense closing, um, which is. And I quote, I want you to understand that we have brought this man's family and we had a host of relatives and families and they are not the most educated, the most articulate or the most knowing, but they are the man's family. If a man's family won't come and stand up for him at trial and if a man's family won't speak good for him, who will? So they call this family (laughs) stupid. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh Love it. Fucking hell. So now we're going to get into the fires that we'll be wrapping this up. I'll try to go through these pretty quick. We're going to get into the fires that happened after his that also had like similar aspects to them that actually caused fire science to evolve and could have saved his life because it should have should should have Jesus Christ. I'm drunk. We're getting through it. So there's a fire that happened. Um, there's a fire that happens at Lime Street. Don't know exactly where that is. But this... Um, it intersects with Lemon Street. Yeah, you get it. <laughs> Sprite Ave. So Gerald Lewis was being charged um, in... charged with capital murder and he was defended by a public defender called, named Pat McGinnis. But Pat McGinnis knew a few things about fire. Uh, one thing McGinnis knew was that fire scenes had to be investigated as quickly as possible. Guess what didn't happen in the Willingham case? Oh, one was the one was this thing fucking 
uh, three days later after Christmas. <laughs> Crime does take the holiday up. Oh my god. And <laughs> you have time for all the water to soak in. So also the same thing was brought up of, oh, why didn't he try to go get help for his family and blah, blah, blah. Uh, He fucking did. He jumped in front of a fucking car in the moving car and he was pleading for help. The driver said that uh, she was late for work, couldn't, didn't have time to make the call and left. They tracked her down. When? (laughs) This is what happens when you have a good fucking lawyer. And this guy's a public defender nonetheless. He is a public defender. Wait, is this a second trial? This is a different trial. This is a completely different situation of like similar circumstances. Okay, this is a fire. separate case. Okay. Yeah. Um, so this is how Lime Street proved Vasquez wrong. Um, puddle patterns were proved wrong. Um, in the unaccelerated Lime Street fire, the flashover in both the living room and hallway created burn patterns that were visually indistinguishable from poor patterns and puddle configurations. Uh, there oh, were no, low me... burn marks. The burning under the bed was also disproven because disproven because in the unaccelerated Lime Street fire, the radiated heat from the flashover was sufficient to ignite the carpet under the sofa, which caused it to burn. Uh, the floor God. being hotter than the ceiling was disproven because heat rises. So when I found that the floor is hotter than the ceiling, that's backwards, upside down. It shouldn't be like that. That's what Vasquez said. The only reason the floor is hotter is because there was an accelerant. That's what Vasco says. Um, in the unaccelerated Lime Street, fi- Lime Street fire, the radiated heat from the flashover was sufficient to ignite the floor along with almost every other area and item in the room. And then he says, to an improperly trained and unskeptical eye, the room might look as if it had burned hotter on the floor than the ceiling. This is all because of the flashover. they then disproved the multiple fire origin areas because of yet again the flashover uh burn trails were disproven because of the flash the flashover v pattern disproven because of the flashover it's everything just gets disproven one by one at a time so you want to know what happened in october 20th 1991 three months prior to this fire happening that could have also helped the Oakland fires 25 people died injured 150 people and nearly 3,500 homes were were burnt and like lost investigators found similar things in these homes that could have saved his life they were they went back and studied them and they had the same things Um, They found out that the Oakland homes burnt hotter than 800 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, So that disproved what Vasquez said. Also, uh, Vasquez died five five months after this trial. From what? Uh, I think a heart attack or old age or something. Incompetence. Um, Bed frame was disproven that uh, just the flashover yet again could have caused the bed frame to be different colors it didn't it really didn't change anything uh mult yet again the multiple origins was disproven again um how wrong vasquez was was uh they proved him to be speculating and lethally wrong and then there is uh gerald hurst gerald hurst is a he is 
the country's most distinguished fire, fire investigator. He would do investigations and testify in trials pro bono, like would not take the mm-hmm. money because if you actually wanted to pay for him, it would have been so stupidly expensive that no one could afford it. Oh, really? Jesus. Because he was so good at his job, but he did him pro bono because he was just good. He got a woman. So there's a woman in, I think she was also in Texas. She was found guilty of, or yeah, she was found guilty of lighting her grandpa. She moved in with her grandpa who had, um, he owned oil fields in New Mexico. And they said that she moved in to kill him off and take over his oil fields. Uh, they said that everything, he had lived a very normal life and everything was fine until she moved in and then rain of little small fires started happening until one night she poured accelerant on him, lit him on fire, and then tried to make it look like an accident. She got sentenced to 55 years. Hearst comes in, studies this, and originally he goes in to testify for she ends up getting bumped from 55 years in prison up to 99 years in prison so he spends the next three years getting all the top fucking people chemists fucking um like medical examiners to study this case with him and do this huge long ass report that states how she could not have done it that he was um so let me see. So he investigates and it shows no sign of accelerant use. Um, he challenges the cause of death. The cause of death was actually a heart attack, not from being burnt. Um, the cause of death is thought to be that her grandpa, who had heart problems and was a heavy smoker and was, had dementia, had a heart attack while trying to light something. And the dementia is why more fires were happening when she moved in uh he was trying to light something while he had a heart attack and it lit and it lit him on fire and that's how he died and he proved this he had chemists everything so that's how he gets brought into the the todd case um he is brought in literally only a couple weeks before todd's execution date and he writes five pages three pages filled with information about how Todd could not have done it and how he has studied multiple things and how he got other people to look at it again. He debunked in this three page thing. He debunked the multiple origins. Uh, He disproves the V shapes. He disproves the liquid under the threshold because of the, um, the lighter fluid on the front porch and how it got there. And that the Brown stains on the porch were from the fire hoses because they typically leave those after being left on cement. Uh, he disproved the lighter fluid under the door frame again. <laughs> and oh. then he sent this in days before he was to be executed. Todd's new lawyer did not do well enough to send this in in time for him to not get executed. He sent in a thing saying, oh, hey, I have this guy who wrote something, wrote a report that you should look at before you execute this guy. He didn't send the fucking report. And when he sent the report, he didn't put a cover letter on it. He just said, Todd Case, the date, his name, and that was it. So the governor never looked at it. And Todd got killed that day. So they could have very easily had a stay of execution to look at the new evidence. Yes. So the governor of Texas 
he took over after Bush, you know, became president, uh, was James Richard Perry. He had, as the governor of Texas, he overwatched 224 executions in 10 years. He... (sighs) It's just bad. So his attorney sent it in and misworded things. Like he does, he just didn't make it seem urgent enough almost. And the report got there too late. Like, cause he didn't yet again, make it look important enough. Um, they think <sighs> that they still don't know to this day what caused the fire. They think it might've been a, a heater that one of the girls knocked over. Cause supposedly what happened was Stacy left that morning and then Todd was woken up by the, the twins crying so he woke them up gave them bottles and set them out of their cribs to play and he went back to sleep but he put up a baby gate he thinks that they they think that they might have knocked over the space heater and yet again there wasn't that safety function on them back then where mm-hmm. if you knock it over it shuts off automatically so and Fuck. that's that's basically it um there's been a speculation about stacy now says that he did beat her and that she, uh, that he confessed to her right before he was to be executed, that he did kill them. But no one believes Stacy because Stacy has changed her fucking mind like four hundred thousand times and never has a straight story for fucking anything anymore. So no one really knows about that. So there is a very high chance that Texas executed a innocent like, man. Yeah, an innocent man, which apparently uh, that governor is known to have done before. That there were people who like pled their innocence on as their last like thing, like they pled their innocence. They broke it down as like there's the three type of people: the people that confess, the people who plead their innocence, and the people who just like die. <laughs> oh, would you like to hear the saddest thing? Oh, yes. God, what? His final words were: "The only statement I want to make is that I am not an innocent." The only statement I want to make is that I am an innocent man convicted of a crime I did not commit. I have been persecuted for 12 years for something I did not do. From God's dust I came, and to dust I will return, so the earth shall become my throne. <sighs> I, I, uh, I'm going to cry tonight because of that one. Uh, well, well said. You Literally four, four days. Man four days could have literally saved this man oh that's depressing thanks jeff hell yeah brother that's what i'm here for thanks man i can't wait till we go back to the drunken jurors where we all do research so i don't have to do all this again hey yay (laughs) fuck fuck off (laughs) Well, do you guys think he was innocent or? I don't know, man. Probably. <laughs> I one hundred percent think he was. The guy who's never wrong says he was guilty. So. <laughs> and the 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 de- the doctor of death came in and also concluded that he was uh, guilty and a sociopath. I, it just. 
so I still <laughs> it's gonna sound bad. I still think the death penalty should be around, but yet again, I think there should be a better way of going about it. Yeah, like having multiple cooperating competent witnesses, having actual physical evidence. Maybe not having public defenders do capital cases. Yeah, but that that would be <laughs> right. You know. <laughs> If my life's on the line, maybe a dude who's not living out of a fucking condo (laughs) to fucking defend me. The small things. All right. Yeah, him in his studio apartment up till 4 a.m. every night, fucking jerking off and trying to study my case. Sorry, that's a shot at public defenders. I don't actually know anything about lawyers, so I'm sorry if that was a shot at lawyers. But if you do jerk off and stay up till 4 a.m., then hit us up. Don't talk to me. <laughs> I don't like it here anymore. You will be exclusively talking to Adam in that situation. I'll have you on as a guest. So that is the sad, sad case of Cameron Todd Willingham. Mm-hmm. Did you forget his last name there for a second? No, I'm just trying to okay. see how I want to wrap this up. <laughs> So thanks everyone for listening. If you go down to the description of this episode, you will find our link tree in our link tree is all are all of our social is all of our, are all of our socials, all of our socials medias. I've been drinking for a while. The socials of the medias are all there from the top link is going to be our pod bean. You go to the pod bean, you click become a patron. You can pay us money monthly. $1 tier. You get the taskmaster specials. There's two of them. Wait, when does this come out? Maybe not. No, there's two of them. Yeah, when this comes out? Yeah. Yep, 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 yep. Okay, cool. There's twos of them. (laughs) (laughs) And then at the... You also get access to our Discord. At the $3 level, you get the unedited video podcast version of this. And then there are more rewards the more you pay us, going 5, 10, 15, and higher. Um, Also... Please rate us, review anything. Fucking help us grow. Help out this podcast that you just listened to where Jeff slurred a lot of words together and talked about a very sad, sad story while Nick got mad and then I think is actually crying in his bathtub right now. He just got up and left during this (laughs) this outro. But yeah, I mean, outside of that, thank you everyone for listening. Thank you for the support. Um, Nick's not here to do it, so Adam, I guess this is how where you get to you get to do it. Oh wait, hold on. In He's the back. arms of oh, I'll stop it before he has a chance. No, <laughs> no let him get it. Get it, Nick. Say the thing. Special zip standards. We don't. Nick, we don't say a different thing. Oompa loompa. <laughs> <laughs>